Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and with me is my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. He's just grabbing his coffee, and we're going to settle into our second episode. Where we're going to talk about the implications of what's going on in the States uh, with all the systemic racism uh, protests and their impact on guarding operations here in Canada and what property owners and employers should be wary of. But before we do that, as always, or as it's going to become our staple, we are going to hit on the week in review to see what's what's keeping Brian awake at night. Brian? Hi, Luke, and hello, everyone. It's nice to be at podcast number two, and I think each of the podcasts are going to get better and better. But, you know, the week in review, there's a couple of things which should be no surprise. COVID still is in the news very much so. Yeah. But especially what's happening in the United States, and, uh, it's really concerning. And I think there's some really clear lessons which are emerging out of the U.S., the importance of messaging. And I think through our series of podcasts, you're going to see a consistent theme. And one is uh, honest, transparent, and consistent messaging is necessary when you're managing crisis or security operations. So I think that's something that's going to continue to evolve. I think there's lessons for us to learn by what happened in the States so we don't make those same mistakes. I wish them well. I'm uh, worried for the future for them. Mm -hmm. And I'm a bit concerned about what that may mean for Canada, but I I think we're going to be okay. The second thing uh, the past week is China is in the news again. And I don't mean China. Were they ever out of the news, Brian? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't mean it the way the president of the U.S. talks about (laughs) China, but I talk about our tit-for-tat potential hostage negotiations Mm -hmm. where we have their executive in house arrest, and they've got two... Canadians. The talk is maybe a uh, prisoner exchange and a lot of problems with that on so many levels. But I also have a lot of empathy or sympathy for the families and the two Canadians, innocent Canadians that are caught in the middle of this thing. And I think the reason from a security point of view, this is important to watch is that in one of my previous lives, when I was a director of security for a large global financial services company, We had people traveling around the world. We're responsible to make sure that they weren't in harm's way, they were protected. I think if I was a director of security in a large corporation or in charge of a travel security program, what really frightens me about what's happening in China right now is those two individuals are just ordinary guys. They weren't high-profile guys. They weren't the presidents of companies. These are guys like you and me. Yeah. And I think the thing that uh, the China story concerns me from a security point of view is how do you operate internationally and send people to a country like China and ensure their safety? So the rules are being rewritten with China and still systemic racism. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that today. But I think before we started, you had a couple of things that you were watching. Well, yeah, the prisoner exchange or the issue is, is certainly a concern because I think it's putting Canada in a tough predicament, that's for sure. You don't want to set a precedent that uh, people can deal with you basically with a gun held to your head. 
you know, interesting that you say they're just average Joes. And how many times I've worked with, with large companies in the past as well. And there seemed to be sort of a presumption that the guy's not the CEO or a senior VP or something that it's not a threat. <laughs> he, he doesn't need the executive protection program that the top dogs get. And I think that that's a, a miss on, on any security director who's managing those types of travel safe programs because they're going to grab anybody they want, trump up some charges and, and deal with them as they wish to gain their political or economic uh, objectives. Um, and that's something I don't think most Canadians, uh, certainly, and, and the Western governments really understand that they play by a different set of rules. And, and here we are trying to be diplomatic and democratic and respectful of people's rights. Uh, Wang, who's uh, the one in custody here in Canada, she's living at home. She's in a palatial house. Those two guys, are they're not living the life over there. They're in a Chinese prison, and I can't even imagine the conditions they're under. So that's certainly a concern. And an associated concern with, with what's going on over there, I think the U.S. has dispatched three carrier task forces to the Pacific. It's the most that they've had in the Pacific since the Second World War, which should be a, a red flag. And the increasing tensions between the two countries throw in the Japanese questions on some islands to the south, which China lays claim to. And then you've got the border with India that's all of a sudden becoming hot. How those things play out is really concerning and hopefully doesn't end in, in, in shots being fired. But that is a real risk that's out there and doesn't seem to be playing very much in the news thanks to some more serious or, or more media-worthy things like COVID and, and the protests that we see. You bring up an interesting point. We seem to think the only thing happening in the world or certainly in our part of the world is COVID and the protest movement. But there, there are a lot of security threats and geopolitical issues that are at play right now. One of the things that keeps me up at night, and I think you alluded to it very briefly in our first podcast, is terrorism. This would be a wonderful time for a terrorist act or even the Russians to do something silly. The only saving grace, I guess, is that they are all as devastated by COVID as we are. But this is a great time for bad things to happen. Yeah. And I know that we're really talking to uh, business leaders, and we're talking to security leaders here. We're not talking to a lot of presidents and prime ministers, I don't think, but who knows who listens to our podcast. <laughs> but I think all of us in a leadership capacity, be it senior or managerial, just have to have our uh, antennae up because it is uh, uncharted waters. Yeah. Things that are clearly geopolitical are creeping into corporate Canada and corporate America and causing us to rethink the things that we, we've traditionally done. When I entered the security industry a million and six years ago, I had to worry about a laptop theft. I had to worry about graffiti and skateboarding. That was the extent of the security issue. And I find now as a security leader in the commercial real estate space or dealing in the corporate space, be it financial or transportation or global logistics, we're looking at things like terrorism political instability. Mm -hmm. It's a whole new world, and we've got to brush off our skill set and look at the threat, evolving threat environment differently. Because if we don't, we're going to get caught. We're going to get clobbered. Yeah, the days of uh, calling security a guy in a uniform at the front door or a, a CCTV camera watching the front door are long behind us. And uh, forward-thinking security practitioners need to understand what's going on in the world around them and look beyond the four corners of the property. And that's really what we're getting into today. We're talking about what's going on in the States, unfortunately, and it's bleeding into, into Canada in terms of the demonstrations we're seeing about Black Lives Matter, the systemic violence uh, allegations on both sides, and the implications of some of those changes, including the funding of the police that's 
being suggested and what does that look like? What are the implications for that on society? But in our case, we're going to really talk about the implications of those movements on security operations and uh, and business. With that, I'm going to turn it back to Mr. Clayman and see what your initial thoughts are on, on the topic. One of the nice things about hosting a podcast is that we could plan out what we want to talk about. And I know we had a lot of discussions when we talked about podcast number two, talking about the the era of protest or the systemic racism movement, how that is full of minefields. We can get ourselves in trouble. And I was talking to my brother the other day, and he said, you really want to do this and talk about that? And what I tried to point out to him is that we're not going to lay judgment in terms of is there racism or is there not racism. We don't want to go there, okay? That's for people a lot smarter than certainly me. <laughs> uh, I don't want to really be critiquing police or critiquing the movement. That's not what today is about. But what today is about is corporate security, security in the commercial real estate space, has to deal with a reflection of what's happening out in society. It behooves us to really get our heads around the fact that if the police that are trained and regulated to the degree they are, are finding themselves in the problem, in the mess that they currently find themselves in, if municipalities and governments and have to answer to the electorate are finding themselves in the problems they're in, what about corporations that manage security operations, which are interfacing with the public? And a case in point would be a commercial real estate operator that has a major shopping mall. I think some of our listeners may be surprised to realize that security has to deal with the bulk of the problems that occur because the police aren't coming to the site every Mm -hmm. time there's a problem. They're too busy. We have security officers, which might be a surprise to people, that make arrests of people that aren't compliant, that are enforcing trespass to property act, that are responding to assaults, that are dealing with all sorts of people from the community. We have corporate security groups that are doing investigations. They're doing fraud investigations. They're doing workplace violence investigations where the targets could be anyone from within the company or outside the company of all races and religions and creeds. I think we have to think about the fact that uh, the public sector is getting blipped with this stuff and they're struggling on how to react. What about the private sector and especially the security piece of the private sector? I think that's what I want to talk about today, Luke. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about because uh, as we both have have talked about in the past, there's a lot of challenges in the the industry. Um, The quality just isn't there. And we've done plenty of RFPs. We've been exposed to to most of the major players in the guarding space in particular in Canada. We're familiar with some of the challenges that have gone on with businesses and interactions with these people. And what I mean by these people, whoever happens to be the person that's being dealt with by security at any given time. Yeah, I, th- thank you for clarifying yeah. these people, because yeah. my heart stopped when you use that term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, as an example, I'll say when I started in, in the business, they had a habit of referring to homeless people as homeless people, right? Yeah. And then my, my, my natural question would be, well, how do you know that they're homeless? <laughs> of course, they would say, well, they smell or they don't dress properly and this type of thing. I know some people who have a lot of money. And you would swear that they're homeless if that's your if that's what you're using as your criteria to judge people. We yeah. really did a lot of work to change that mindset so that these people terminology isn't there. Started going towards the people in need, mental distress. As you change the definition, it changes the mindset of the person approaching the the guard who's approaching that person or the situation. If you're talking to somebody and you think that they're homeless, that creates a mindset 
in your head and you're going to deal with them a certain way because of your biases and all these, you know, it's a complicated argument. But if you just say they're a person in need, yeah. it changes the mindset to something more uh, helpful. They tend to be less aggressive. You're, you're less inclined to grab them and throw them out on the street. I think that that's important to understand as we go down this conversation. It's not just about who you're dealing with. It's really about how your program is set out, what is your mandate, and how you, you've set up your, your training, your policies and procedures to achieve that mandate in the most equal, transparent, and fair way. You know, in my last job in the commercial real estate vertical, and i responsible for the national security program for a large organization, one of the first things we did was we looked at all the incidents that were coming in across the country, and we standardized how we classified them. Because I wanted to understand what was happening at our properties across the country and how were we reacting to different types of incidents. And we started classifying things like you talked about homelessness and we said about uh, unwanted persons or trespass incidents. We started trying to create flags to identify what percentage of our interactions were with people that potentially had mental health issues. And I was amazed after a while when we would crunch the numbers, and again, realizing that security officers are not uh, mental health professionals, nor are they trained diagnosticians, a lot of the reports were coming in as suspected mental health issues. And we realized quickly that we didn't have the skill set to be dealing with the types of things we were dealing with. Now, I want to be really clear. There are some really incredibly good security programs out there in the commercial real estate space where the guards are incredibly trained and, you know, I dare say as good, if not perhaps better than anyone on the public sector, law enforcement mm-hmm. side. But as an industry, unfortunately, that's the exception rather than the rule. Most of the clients that we're dealing with, when they ask us to take a look at their program, it's essentially a body and a shirt. It's yeah. a humanoid that has a shirt that says security. They have basics of training, which in Ontario is a 40-hour training course, which is really very minimal, that are dealing with the so-called homeless people or people with mental health issues. Often, they don't have the skills, or if they do it right, it's not because it was engineered, the outcome was engineered. It was accidental. It was accidental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's because Peter or Mary, the security guard, brought that to the table rather than the profession gave them the skill. And I agree with you, but there's a misconception among most business leaders that police are going to take care of things, and so I don't need that high-quality guard, right? It's just pick up... I hate these these programs that run observe and report operations. I can't stand them, and there's liabilities on both sides and all that, but if somebody's in a security uniform and people are coming to your... A place of business and they see that person in uniform, there's an expectation created that they can take care of business. And so to sit there and put a guy in that kind of a uniform and then not give him the training and tools to do the job because you think that the police are going to come at the drop of a hat because yeah. something goes wrong and you call 911 and any police officer will tell you good luck with that strategy, you're really setting yourself up for failure. And I think that that's part of the problem. The belief that the police are going to be there creates presumption or naive presumption that, hey, I've got a guard in uniform, that's enough. He can pick up a phone and call for help. It is what I refer to as the illusion of security. (laughs) And and quite frankly, I would rather have no security guard. The average building, large office building, let's say 30, 40 floors, you know, in the downtown city core, has a security contract budget of about a million dollars. 
Over five years, that's about $5 million. i got to be careful, but many of them, the programs and the guards are inept. They can't do anything. Yep. There's cameras out the yin-yang. But when you do a review of the building, you find they got 3,000 cameras. Uh, 99% of them don't work, and the others, no one's watching. Yeah. So I'd rather have no cameras, save a million dollars, have no security, save a million dollars a year, and take that $2 million or $10 million over five years and use that to pay out the insurance claims or the yeah. litigation because it just creates an illusion, and you're entirely right. I know firsthand, you know firsthand, our cohorts in the commercial security Leadership uh, cadre, no firsthand. The police will tell you they can't deal with their basic calls for service. They're not going to be running to your mall or to your bank tower downtown when you've got a skateboarder, when they're trying to deal with the gangbangers and other parts of the city. They're looking to you to take care of That's them. exactly what I was going to say. They're, in fact, they're less inclined because they know you've got security on site. And a good friend of ours, and I won't mention his name, uh, a retired superintendent would say that when the stuff hits the fan, let's say that protest or whatever, you're going to make that 911 call. Well, we'll get there in a day or two. When we I get there. <laughs> exactly. The building's priority may not be the police priority, and that's understandable, okay? Because what's important to the building, they don't know what's happening in the city. But the reality is the building has the responsibility to create a safe and secure environment, and that's the challenge. And then what happens is too many buildings or too many security programs have their security guards who are untrained and unsupervised trying to deal with the situation. We all know, you just look at YouTube, bad security arrests. What a gong show it is when the security guard has no de-escalation training or he's forgotten anything he's learned, has no defensive tactic skills training or has forgotten anything he's learned, and is involved in a, in a very violent-looking arrest or takedown. And given the, the current environment, God forbid that it happens, it's a person with a chip on their shoulder, yeah. and it's videotaped. What mm -hmm. do you do then? Well, you better have a plan. <laughs> so, or a good lawyer. Or, or a good lawyer, yeah. Okay, so just moving along, Brian, we really have talked about some of the challenges with the systemic racism challenges that are happening and to managing security situations on site because of some underlying misconceptions. The movement towards defunding the police, they really need to understand what that means and what the implications are of that going to be on society in general. But in our case, because we're talking about security, the security programs and operations, we just said that police are not coming. And that's under current circumstances and conditions. If you now take away more officers, take them off the streets, that just is going to make matters worse in terms of response and support that a lot of these programs rely on. So what what are some of the challenges you see coming out of that for, for security managers with less police resources on the ground or available for them? I think human nature being what it is, and the last time I looked, most police officers are human, that people, police officers, if they do become defunded or if they're looking at budgets, there'll be less money to support primary policing roles, which means the police being able to respond in a timely manner is going to be reduced, which is going to place a bigger burden on the security program. Again, if we're talking about commercial real estate, and if you've been relying on the police to get there to deal with the problem, they're not going to be there for one of two reasons. They're not going to be there because parts of their program have been defunded, or what concerns me even more because police officers are scared to engage. Yeah. And yeah. that's a reality. I come from a policing family. I have that in my background. You do, many of our colleagues 
my wife's a police officer, my nephew's a police officer. When my wife and my nephew go to work, I want them to come home and I want them to take our daughter to soccer or I want them to do things with the family. If police officers feel that they don't have the public supporting them, they will be less inclined to do the things they need to keep us safe. That worries me as a security practitioner is that it's going to put a bigger burden on my security teams. I just don't think, you know, talk about defunding the police. We've already defunded security. Yeah. We're not spending the money we need to <laughs> in the best of times. So I see there's going to be a, more of an importance on professional quality security, and that's going to be a, a, an awakening for corporate Canada that that million dollars you're spending now is going to become 1.2 or 1.3 million dollars. And if you don't do it, are you prepared to deal with the consequence of a poor security response? That's what my concern is. Yeah, that, that's an excellent segue to uh, just a brief commercial on episode three, where we're going to be talking about guarding in particular and some of the things that we've seen in RFPs and RFIs that we've done with in the industry. And we're going to talk about some of the trends that we see that should be improved. It could, as, as I'm thinking about it, could this be an opportunity for the industry? And, and the industry's had a habit of shooting themselves in the foot. We've raced to the bottom, as, as you say, which is certainly to the benefit of the end users who are happy to oblige, right? I'll pay the cheapest price. I don't care. Yeah. Give it to me. And so the product is what we get. But could this be used as the conduit or an awakening on the security industry side to say, you know what, we can step up and help uh, address some of those policing issues. We've talked about the role of security taking on traditional policing roles. And what we're talking about are obviously less critical roles, uh, traffic direction, construction sites. Why am I paying an officer top dollar to sit there in their car all day? Good on him for making the cash, but I can put three security guards to do the same job. Could this be conduit to change in the industry to make it better, to, to justify the need for better security guards and up the, the profile? I think certainly it can be. Uh, I just want to talk about the comment race to the bottom. You know, I've been very vocal about my disappointment with the quality of the contract security industry. But so that I don't get killed by my many friends that are in the contract security industry that really are doing a great job, they would also say, if they remember, not only am I critical of them, but I say the bigger problem is the uh, customer. The customer drives the contractors to a provide uh, a low cost quality yeah. solution. So really, if the client's not asking for quality, the contractor can't be giving you a premium solution if sub premium is what the client wants. So I think there's a lot of blame to go around, but I think the bulk of it goes to us, the consumer, rather than the providers, because the mm -hmm. providers want to make money. But to answer your question, when you were in your last life and one of your buildings in your portfolio was one of the most prestigious buildings in the country in Toronto's financial district, and I recall all the time you were saying, this is ridiculous, we're having trouble with this construction project or people getting out of our parking garage at 5 o'clock. It's taking them a half an hour to get out of the garage. And the only way I could do this is call Toronto Police to put a police officer there, perhaps at a pay duty at $100 an hour or whatever mm -hmm. it is, to direct traffic, when I can put a trained security guard there to do the same thing. I think what we have to do is when we look at this whole defund the police movement or rethink policing, I think we have to look at are we deploying police properly? I think we need police. I think the, the tactical element of police is really, really important. 
But I think the question is, how do we use police and train security in tandem to provide a holistic response to public safety? And the way you do that, I think, is the guys with the guns and the tactical training will deal with the heavy stuff. Right. The stuff that don't require that type of training or hardware is relegated to a second tier. And Toronto is starting that with their special consul service. But I think security has a, a role to play. But I just put this caveat in there. I hear a lot of clients and I hear a lot of guard companies say, we want the police to take us seriously and not look at us as mall cops. But no. we have to earn that. Absolutely. And we haven't earned it yet. Some contract security programs have, and I'll give credit where credit is due. But as an industry, we haven't. And there's a reason they look at it, the industry as mall cops, because we are. We went from working at Tim Hortons, and there's nothing wrong at working at Tim Hortons, and all of a sudden now you're protecting one of the most prestigious shopping malls in the country with no special training. No training. In fact, you got more training to ice the donut at Tim Hortons often than you did and again, I before our uh, friends in the contract industry write in and they tell me about the 40-hour mandated training, I get it. But really, that's not training. Because I'm an end user, that doesn't give me what I need. It's the specialized training that few companies provide and fewer clients are demanding in their contracts. Until we do that, we're not going to see change. So I think we have to leverage what's happening now, rethinking public safety and private security and what we do in corporate Canada is part of that continuum. We have to rethink how we deliver security services and what services we do. If we want to think that it's not our responsibility, we pay taxes, police are going to take care of it, <laughs> give your head a shake. Maybe that's the way it should be. It never has been, and it certainly won't be going forward. If we don't do it, the quality of life experience for our tenants, for our businesses are going to be impacted. Yeah, that, that was always one of my favorite comments when I pulled people over and they pulled the, I pay your salary card. It really endeared me to them and, and made it a conducive <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I generally am aligned with you on this. Uh, the, the Guardian it has come a long way, but get back to the whole systemic issues and what the ultimate implications are going to be. And I think we also agree on that. And there's going to be less service and less resources for security practitioners or more, more specifically the programs that buildings or, or end users are, are operating. Then I think there needs to be, if they're serious about protecting their brand and, and their business, then there needs to be a natural uplifting of the security program to compensate for the less availability of, of the police resources. We have to see a shift from lower level benchmark for performance. If I'm running a multi-billion dollar company, then I'm going to start looking towards bringing in real investigators who have some kind of basis and training in investigations and not just happen to be good at talking to people and HR likes them, so let's have them do some interviews or look into some, some CCTV. That's not an investigation. I think as a, as a competent, forward-looking business owner, I would want to start looking at my investigative units making sure that they're properly trained, they've got the, the experience to do them right, and that they prepare those dockets for court as if an officer was doing them to increase the likelihood of getting those convictions and, and taking care of business. Same thing with the programs, the guarding we've talked about, professionalizing those guards, taking them to another level. Because if you don't do that, you're sort of enhancing or increasing the odds that you're going to suffer because not only are your guards ill-prepared or your programs ill-prepared, but you're basing that preparedness on the fact that the police are going to come in on their, you know, the cavalry and rescue you. And that's not going to happen either. So you're doubling down on, on getting caught with the, your pants down, so to speak. 
you're, you're entirely right. Actually, this isn't working out good because you and I are supposed to disagree and have some <laughs> real fiery arguments, but uh, you're entirely right. The frustrating thing is, and it's not only frustrating, but it's also bears well for the future. I'm sure a lot of corporate Canada business leaders that are listening to what you're saying, that means they got to spend more money on yeah. security. <laughs> of course. No. Because the reality is we're spending a lot of money already. We've got to make sure we get value for the yeah. million we're spending. Spend it better. <laughs> That's what spend it better. So it's really not about infusing incredible amounts of capital to pick up the slack. We're just not getting value for the money we're spending. If we're going to have three guards in a building, how much more difficult is it to train them and to supervise them and get the guards to be able to protect the building rather than just sit there and say, oh, I don't know. I think he's having a heart attack. That's the frustrating thing, and that's the thing we got to do better. We were able to skate up until now because it really wasn't that consequential. If the building screwed up and the guard made a mistake and you got sued, it was 50000 bucks or whatever, and it wasn't a big deal. The protest movement, the issues of racism, okay, you don't want to be a company that's caught in that net because that will be a big deal. Your insurance can pay the liability if you lose in court. It's random reputation. And I got to tell you, you deserve to be nailed if, if it comes out in an inquiry that you've got cameras that you spend a million dollars on, you've got guards that you spend a million dollars on, but you're getting $25 worth of output. That's gross negligence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a perfect example of what you're talking about, getting involved in the wrong way, take a look at Facebook. And what they're suffering right now with the brand and the, the CEO made some yep. pretty questionable moves and, and all their sponsors are starting to drop now, right? The Verizon took away all their uh, advertising and now it's bringing a, you know, it's a domino effect. More yep. and more of their sponsors are, are, are pulling their ads from, from Facebook. So to say that it's not going to ha happen to you is like naive. I would challenge anybody who's listening, certainly the business owners, the end users, to do one thing that you actually, Mr. Clayman, continually have have said in the past and has always stuck with me, and that is to look at their guards when they walk into their buildings, to their place of business, and think to themselves, if everything hits the fan right now, can those guards do what I'm paying them to do or what I believe that they should be doing? And if the answer is no or they hesitate, then they should really be rethinking their security yeah. program. Quite honestly, that's a litmus test. You know, I, I remember once I said to uh, the C-suite, I said, does anyone have any idea how much money we spend as a corporation across the country with 200-plus uh, uh, properties on security? And no one did. And I said, well, we figure it's about 30-plus million dollars a year. And it got everyone's attention because that's a real chunk of change. And that's cumulative spend. And then I said, okay, when you walked in this morning and you saw Freddie at the desk there, nice old guy, close your eyes for a second and pretend you hear some gunshots. And then open your eyes and look at Freddie. How do you feel? And that really directed the conversation after that. They realized we're spending the money, but I don't think we're getting the value. We just have an illusion. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly it. Usually the answer is, well, he's such a nice guy. Well, yeah. he is a nice guy. Yeah, but he's he not going to stop a guy who wants to get into your elevator. Like, And that's ultimately what you're going to be judged by. So with that, I see our time has gone a little over our traditional sort of, uh, we aim for 30 minutes to make it a coffee chat, and my coffee's getting cold. Before we we end up, did you want to have uh, any comments, Ryan? Well, just in the interest of time, I'll keep it short. Podcast one, I when we ended, I said something about the T-shirt my daughter and wife bought me with one of the seven dwarfs from uh, yes. Walt Disney. You're right. I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> Next point. 
<laughs> that's on. it? That's how you're going to end it up? That's all I'm going to say today. Well, that guy was grumpy, so it wasn't appropriate. Grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, as always. I look forward to our next episode, which is uh, going to air in two weeks' time. We hope you all listen in. Until next time, see ya. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets.